Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From the Ringer Podcast Network, listen to Gamblers Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore, and you're listening to Black on the Air with Larry Wilmore. Yeah. Um, We've had a lot of special guests um, recently, and we have a very special guest today, you guys. You know who it is? It's me. What? (laughs) <laughs> yes, we are. Um, some of you have asked about, you know, the weigh in. I haven't weighed in a lot lately. And I thought, you know, let's just do an episode where I answer some of your questions and interact with my peeps out there in the world. See what's on your mind. So some of you have sent questions via Facebook, some Twitter, some Instagram. So, I'll, you know, I'll go through some of these and we'll have some fun. Answer some questions today and we'll get back to interviewing people <laughs> uh, very soon. As you know, I really love to do. Um, but first, let me just weigh in real quick, just a real quick one on the whole Trump situation. Uh, Trump has been <laughs> indicted on an espionage, on the Espionage Act for basically uh, hoarding classified uh, documents and not cooperating, let's say, in a timely manner with the DOJ. Um, Trump is such an ass. He's so stupid, too. He's just such a fool. Here's the thing. These are such unforced errors, the things that Trump does. He's so stupid, you guys. Um, I have made no mistake. I don't like Trump. I think he's a horrible person to be president. He's just, you know, he's nasty in so many ways, but not that. He's just... He's unhinged, you know, he's so self-obsessed and so narcissistic, you know, to have him in charge of the country. I still can't believe that that happened, but it did. You know, we've talked about the reasons why, but please let's not let that happen again. But here's the thing. I don't know 
if, oh, by the way, the only reason why Trump took these documents, it's, it's the stupidest reason to, it's so stupid. It's only because he wants to brag about being president. When you really break it down, I mean, Trump boasts about every fucking thing. I mean, the only reason why he wants documents is so he could say to people, hey, look at this. Look at this. I was president, you know. Look what they said about me. Isn't this good? He's just, he just wants to brag on himself. He just wants to show people that he has them. I mean, it's just, it's beyond just craziness. All right. Um, I hope he goes to prison. I've said, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. It may not. I honestly don't care why. I do think that the... uh trying to, you know, get him to go to jail for the Stormy Daniels thing, I thought was an overreach. You know, that is more like a campaign uh, issue, election uh, election finance issues. Who cares about that, really? Interfering, interfering with the election, to me, is more serious. Like calling the Secretary of State in Georgia. That motherfucker should go to prison for that. Um, January 6th, that's a little tough, you know, to convict somebody on that. He was... Horribly wrong on that, of course, incited that whole incident. Prison, I don't know about that. But this, <laughs> these documents, this is some serious shit. Because even Republicans, you know, Republicans even like Trump. Some of them are saying how serious this is. And Trump himself, this is how stupid he is. He's the one saying that, you know, he's talking about Hillary, all that locker up bullshit, right? That, uh, you know, he's trying to act like, you know, how serious these charges are and if, you know, if anyone ever has these types of documents should go to prison and all that. Well, nigga, it is you now. <laughs> it is you. And you may be going to prison based on your own words, which would be fantastic. But here's my question. Like I said, I don't know if it's going to happen. Probably not. Um, it might, but who knows? So I will offer you and he might become president, too. We don't know. So I'm going to offer you guys a choice and maybe I'll put this on Twitter. We can answer this. Here's a fun question for you. Okay. What would you rather take? <laughs> I think either of these scenarios could happen. Okay. Trump doesn't go to prison, doesn't serve a, a minute of prison, but he doesn't become president either. Okay. He doesn't go to prison, but he doesn't become president either. Or the other scenario, which is a little more interesting, Trump does go to prison and he goes to prison for the rest of his life, but he also becomes president. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Would you take that trade off? And they said, okay, right now, here's the trade off. You can have either of these. You know, neither of them is ideal, right? Uh, we can, yeah, Trump can go to, I'm just talking, you know, just crazy. I mean, Trump can go to prison, you know, like if we're talking directly to the universe, in other words, universe, can we talk directly to you? And the universe says, all right, motherfuckers, but I just can't give you guys shit because then I got to give everybody shit. But I will make you this offer. Trump can either go to prison, but he does become president. He can president from prison. I don't know if that's ever been done yet. It might be ridiculous. It might be kind of entertaining, actually. You know, when he's finished being president, because he only has four more years, he's going to be a lame duck. He, he just stays right there in prison or doesn't become president, doesn't go to prison. I don't know which one I would choose. I have to be honest with you guys. I came up with this scenario and I don't know which one I would choose. I have reasons to choose both. <laughs> because I really, really, really think he should go to prison. I really do. And, uh, you know, it's not really schadenfreude here. 
you know, it's not like a, you know, wishing the worst for somebody. That motherfucker just deserves to go to prison. You know, he's so corrupt in so many different ways. And it's been for so long and it's just gotten away with it. But, you know, this kind of corruption um, at this level, I think is completely wrong. So I don't know. I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I'll put it on Twitter. Which one would you take <laughs> if you had a direct line to the universe and the universe said, look, I'll deliver one of these things. He cannot go to prison and won't become president or he becomes president. But yeah, he goes to prison. I don't even know if that's possible. It would be interesting. Then. Okay. That's my quick hit. My take on Trump. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous and it's silly, but what are you, you going to do? This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, so let's get to the questions. Um, so many interesting ones, you guys. I appreciate you uh, responding to me. Uh, let's start with Facebook. Let's go there. Um, someone said, and this is what I just said, miss your opening commentary on current events, wondering why you stopped with love for you to bring it back. Lisa Parton, I believe is the name. You know what, Lisa? Thank you for asking that. Um, it kind of happened organically. And I think because... So much of the current events are were just so horrible. And having to weigh in on them, you know, it just ugh, it just brings you down so much. And I realize that people want to hear my take on that kind of thing. There have been some important events that have happened recently that I've actually had opinions on. But, you know, to share them and to formulate, you know, arable opinions, let's say. Um, and by arable, I mean, I like to, I like to come at something from a, from a standpoint that I think is not quite out there, you know, have a point of view that isn't quite being represented. It may overlap with some points of view out there, but you know me, I'm not really contrary so much as I like to just formulate a unique opinion if I'm going to share it publicly. If I'm not sharing it publicly, who cares? I can think whatever I want. But since... I consider what I do, this is a professional thing. You guys want content that you feel is unique. I should have an opinion that is purely my own, you know, and many times because it just drags me down so much, I just don't even want to go there or engage in it, you know? So, and I look forward so much to engaging with the people I'm interviewing. And many times I'll get out my point of view in some of the conversations, and I look forward to that. Had a great conversation with Audie Cornish. I hope you guys heard. And, you know, some of my takes on some things were out there, and I do that with some guests. I kind of sneak it in, that type of thing. And sometimes I just want an escape from it. So I love it when I have a guest where, you know, we don't touch on any of these 
you know, current event subjects that are just a drag, you know. I'm trying to put more positivity out there in the world. It isn't always possible. Sometimes you're dealing with just a barrage of negativity. So, you know, do what you can do. Do what you got to do. Um, I just spoke at Harvard, by the way. I gave the um, a little update on what's going on with me. I was asked to be the class day speaker at Harvard, which is the day before the commencement. Uh, I think some guy named Tom Hanks did the commencement speech. I don't know. That's what I heard. But I did the class day speech chosen by the students. By the way, great group of students. I had so much fun talking to them. Um, I had never been on the Harvard campus either. You know, it was great being there and talking to them. But one of the things that I said in the speech, and and uh, you can, uh, I, th- I think I have a link to it on my Twitter feed. If not, I can do it if you guys are interested in it. But uh, I was just talking about coping with things and how to get clarity in your life and that type of thing. And the three things that take me through it are, the three sayings that do it are, it is what it is, which covers about 95% of things. Do what you got to do, <laughs> which covers about 4%. And then play better is the last 1%. And I go into detail in it. And that kind of thinking has, you know, is always good for me. And I think that's a question coming up too. I can use that. All right. So there you go. All right. Here's another question. Uh, thanks, Lisa, for that one. Uh, this says, Miss The Nightly Show, how is it that comedy is the most effective way of broaching topics that are usually more difficult to talk about? Um... And this is from Alan Bailey. Um, it's a good question. He says, I majored in philosophy and, and even then preferred the clarity of Aristophanes to the density of Plato. Actually, I enjoyed Plato, maybe because I'm a comedian. I may have enjoyed Plato more than Aristophanes. Um, the Greek, anybody, I studied theater in college. So if you, you know, studied uh, the Greeks like Aristophanes and those folks, Um you know what? It's I don't know if it, if comedy is the only area that can get away with it because drama has certainly presented great issues. I think both have done it. Sometimes comedy isn't allowed to go to certain places. I think people feel comedy can't really touch on things today where drama maybe have maybe has more permission today. There was a time when in the seventies, like when All in the Family's on the air, comedy was able to go to certain places that you didn't see dramas going to that much in those days, you know, talking about certain issues. So some of it is maybe the zeitgeist or the times or that type of thing, but I don't think it's just comedy that goes there. I do, I have to give credit to a a lot of great drama that has been out there that has handled some really tough issues, you know? Um, So maybe I disagree with your premise. But thanks, Alan. It's a great question. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, here's a fun one. It says, ooh, ooh, you're a Beatles fan too? <laughs> if Bill Preston did join the Beatles as an official member, as was discussed, though I understand veto by Paul, would they have stayed together longer? Who would Billy have written more songs with, John or George? This is from Catherine Ruiz. Um, okay, Catherine. So all of you know I'm a big Beatles fan. Um Love the Beatles, love talking about their songs, lyrics, that kind of stuff. Um, Not really a Beatles historian. I'm more of a fan of the music more than anything else. But in this case, Billy Preston, of course, black performer back in the day, great piano, uh, keyboard player, I should say, piano, organ, whatever. Played on Get Back and some other songs. 
on the Let It Be album. He was there for the sessions, the Get Back sessions, which you see now on that Disney uh, channel. And I think he got credit. I think it was the first outside performer to get credit. If you look at the original singles, I think it's just the Beatles with Billy Preston or something like that. Um, I don't think Billy Preston ever would have been a Beatle. I just don't think that would have happened. I really think the Beatles were ready to break up at the time that they broke up and probably were ready maybe a year before that. You know, we're lucky that they even made Abbey Road, honestly, which is an unbelievable album under the circumstances with how divided they were during that time. So I just don't think it would have happened. You know, if you look back at what was actually happening, they were about to go through this big legal thing and change managers. No way Billy Preston could have gotten involved during that time with just their legal stuff alone, you know? Um, But I mean, it would have kind of, it would have been cool, you know, if, if the Beatles hadn't had those issues and let's say had stayed together another decade or something like that, they might've expanded the group and it would have been great to have somebody like Billy Preston as part of the Beatles or the expanded version of the Beatles. I think it would have been awesome. Um, Nothing from nothing, nothing, Billy Preston. Um, What is your position? Thanks, Catherine. What is your position on reparation for slavery for black people? Um, in my opinion, not just those who can prove their ancestral heritage directly, but all who were born in the U.S. and have black roots, but should get it to make up for the great disparity between white and black families' wealth. Um, this is from Mark Kate, I believe. Um, I'll be honest. I'm not, I haven't been convinced of reparations yet. I haven't heard a clean argument that addresses all of it. I think at the beginning, um, of all this, you know, blacks certainly should have been given, former slaves should have been given reparations at the time. The <laughs> country was was so fucking derelict in their dues. People are just so racist, man. Um, but I don't know how you can do it fairly to address its original purpose. I think it's... You can't, I don't think reparation should be used to address income inequality and those issues. To me, whatever outcomes were a result of, let's say, Jim Crow and slavery and all that, I don't know if reparations is the remedy for that. You know, reparations to me should be a direct remedy for something that was done wrong to the people who it was done wrong to. Or you could, you could argue, I don't mind the argument to their. Um, descendants or whatever. Um, it's just, you know, just to say if you're black, you get reparations, I don't think is a good enough statement. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, just watch Henry Louis Gates' show, <laughs> Finding Your Roots. I mean, it's just going to be just a mess to try to figure out who really should get reparations, you know, and how much and why and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, I don't buy the the argument against that says, well, I didn't enslave your family. Why should I pay reparations? It's not the individual paying reparations. I understand it would be the government paying it. And people, by the way, your taxes pay for things that you don't support all the time. Like there's plenty of times you don't support a war, but your taxes still pay for it. So I don't buy the argument that I'm not against reparations because 
people shouldn't have to pay for something that they weren't responsible for. It's not the people paying for it. And I get it. People pay taxes and it's their money. It's the government. But the government um, as an entity would be, you know, trying to address the redress, I guess you could say. But for me, I just don't see it. I think it's probably, I don't see it coming from the government. You know, I haven't seen that case made yet. Now, I have seen where like universities have done it, where they've kind of acknowledged they've had some, you know, dirty hands, I guess, and maybe have profited from slave labor or whatever. I've heard of that. And they've done direct reparations and that kind of stuff themselves, or maybe corporations if they feel they've been responsible. I'm not mad at that. You know, if they want to do that, kind of tough when we talk about the government and it's kind of a broad thing. That's a little tougher. You know, I just don't, I, I'll just say not necessarily, I'm not strongly against or for, I just really haven't been convinced of it. Let's just say that. Um, okay. Here's one. If there's one thing we as individuals can do to work towards improving the landscape of this country ooh, and our political arena. What would it be? This is from Jane Janab, I think is the name. Thanks, Jane. That's a really good question. Man, I don't know. Um, It is really sad how strikingly divided we are. And not to say that we haven't been divided before, because let's not make up a fairy tale that the country hasn't been divided before. It's been divided for most, most of its history. We had a whole war about ways in which we were divided, right? I think our divisions haven't been as much in our face all the time. And I think that's because of social media. I think when we've been, when people have had divisions before, it wasn't broadcast all the time in our faces. So we weren't conscious of it. We weren't carrying it in our pockets all the time. I think because we're carrying it in our pockets all the time, we're just more aware of it. But honestly, I don't think we're more divided now. I don't buy that argument than we have been. You can choose any period of time and you can see Americans being divided. By the way, nothing wrong with being divided. I think having different opinions, coming from different points of views, fighting for what you believe in, I think those are healthy things. I'm not against just division in and of itself, but some of the destructiveness, rancor, um, and negative things that come out of the divisions, I would be against, but not against division itself. Nothing wrong with being divided. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Um, there are some things that I feel like we should be united about, which would be good, you know. But there's nothing wrong with having divisions about things because many times through those divisions you and through compromise, you come to something that helps everyone in generally, you know, um, which is the art of compromise, right? Nobody wins. But nobody really loses either. Not easy to do. On a personal basis, that's on the macro level. On the micro level, here's what I would suggest. I was going to do a whole essay on this or something, but I'll just say it in a small form now. Um, I say smile first, okay? <laughs> this is something that a lot of people are not going to agree with, and I understand why. But I've used this in my life for as long as I can remember, probably most of my adult life. And I don't know why I started doing this. I think, you know what it was? I think when I was selling books door to door, it was so tough, you know, that 
when I would meet someone, I would just smile first. Not, In other words, I'm not waiting for them to smile or for them to be nice to me. I'm being nice to them first. Smile first. I think smile first disarms people. It, you know, relaxes people. You get to have more of a genuine experience with people. Um, and you, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a superpower sometimes when sometimes it's a gift, uh, to people. Like if you smile first, being the first one to smile in any kind of interaction, you never know. I've done this before and I've seen that it will completely make somebody's day. And it's really interesting. You can see they're having a bad day, make eye contact, smile first, you know, and they just kind of melt and it just makes a difference. You know, if you're a younger person, please do this with older people, you know, smile first with older people. Don't wait for them to say something to you. That's what I try to always teach my kids and, you know, younger people be the first one to be nice. All right. Not the first one to be an asshole. Plenty of time to defend your turf and be an asshole and all that, but take the time to smile first. How about that? Yay. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Here's one. What politicians are inspiring you right now? That's a good one right after this. What podcast do you listen to? This is from Molly Jester. Thanks, Molly. Great couple of questions. I would say zero politicians are inspiring me right now, but that is not unusual. Politicians rarely inspire me. I don't know if I've ever been. I was inspired by Barack Obama's speech uh, in the 2004 convention, that was very inspiring, you know, and of course it's run. But that was the last time I felt really inspired by a politician. Politicians generally don't inspire me, though, so I'm kind of a tough audience. Um, and I'm, I'm searching back to see growing up, was I inspired by a politician? I don't really remember Robert Kennedy, but because I was very young when he uh, was assassinated, but there was a period of time when just looking at some of the stuff he was saying and reading, he was in an inspiration uh, with some of the things they said. I found him more inspirational than JFK. Those are the two that I feel like I was inspired by. So politicians generally don't inspire me. Um, what podcast do you listen to? Oh, uh, so I've been on a history podcast kick lately. And my favorite one, it's really cool. It's called Fall of Civilizations. And it is so interesting. It may sound kind of dry to some of you, but it's so fascinating. Here's what Fall of Civilizations is. It brings, it takes you back to the time when an empire kind of rose and then it fell. And it kind of tells you why it rose and fell. And, but it brings you into it in a way. It talks about the food people ate, you know, the customs that they had. So you get a sense of who the people actually were. It's not just hearing the generalities of the culture. You actually get a sense of how the people lived and who they were. It's real fascinating. Follow civilizations. Um, highly recommend it. Other than that, I kind of bounce around with certain things. Um, but, you know, that's, that's my favorite one so far right now. That's what I could say. All right. Thank you very much for that. Um, Here's an interesting one. This is, uh, okay, it says, if you could make three casting corrections in three films, that's hilarious. What three roles would you recast? Fun fact, 
You can cast a 50s actor in an 80s film or someone modern in a film from the 30s. This is from Meg Anunnaki. Um, I hope I said your name right, Meg. Very, I love questions like this. Very cool. You know, it's very creative. I, you know, I thought about this. I read this before and ah, it was a tough one. But here, here's the three that I came up with. Okay. The first one's pretty simple. Richard Pryor in Blazing Saddles. Now, if you've seen Blazing Saddles, you know Cleavon Little is hilarious in it. He's really funny. It was a breakout breakout role for him. Would never want to take that away from Cleavon Little. Hilarious. But Richard Pryor was supposed to play that role. And I think the studio didn't want to take a chance on him or something. I mean, you know, he, he was really wild those days. And he hadn't quite, like, uh, ascended to what we know him as now. He was... He was on his way up. He had prior had like was kind of tired of kind of the the standup he was doing and kind of reinvented himself. So he was he was going up that ladder during this period, you know, coming out of that comedy cocoon and was, you know, just becoming this hilarious moth about to hit the scene. Richard Pryor and Blazing Saddles would have been unbelievable. It would have been the first time we got to see him with Gene Wilder, as we know, in um Sir Crazy and, you know, the one with the train. I can't remember. Uh, so hilarious. They were so funny together. But to see them in this, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor Blazing Saddles would have been unbelievable. Uh, Silver Street. That was the other movie that they were in. Um, here's one that's kind of interesting. I don't know why this came to mind. James Cagney, because I'm going from the 30s to a different movie. I'll use that premise. How about James Cagney in Goodfellas? He replaces the Joe Pesci role. Could you imagine a young Jimmy Cagney doing that Pesci role? Oh, man, that would have been hilarious. You know, that would have been interesting. right? Um, and finally, one of my favorite performers. OK, remember the movie The Artist that won Best Picture a few years ago? It was a silent movie. It was a very charming movie. It was fun. Buster Keaton. I bring Buster Keaton in in his prime and he plays it. And I know it's a silent film, of course, but I wasn't a big fan of Buster talking, to be honest with you. But if a young Buster Keaton could play that part in the artist and the way they did, that would have been amazing. There you go. Those are my three choices, Meg. What do you think about that? Let's go to Instagram story. Okay. Um, Rob Smith. Ask if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Look at these questions are hilarious, you guys. They're so, they're so like exactly how my brain works to jump from all these different subjects. Um, okay, this one, I don't think I've changed my mind on this. Uh, oh no, actually, that's not true. I think when I was younger, it was different. It has been invisibility for a long time. Okay, why I don't know. I think it's because it'd be nice to eavesdrop what people are saying you know i think it's from that old joke you know what happens when a black person leaves a room when does a black person become you know a nigga when he leaves a room you know just to be able to hear certain things invisibility is always one but i have to say flying when i was growing up the ability to fly was huge that was a big one and for a while it was being being able to run fast like the flash but that one's not as big Flying was a big one for a long time. I almost forgot about that. But invis invisibility kind of took over. I don't know if I want to fly now, but there was a time when, uh, and I used to have dreams about flying all the time, which is kind of weird. Actually, there were dreams about falling, and then you start flying. I think there's a song about that. Um, 
flying is just like falling until you hit the ground. Love that lyric, right? Um, you guys might know who's saying that. It's great. Love that lyric. You know. Um, who's a guest you have not had on your show but would like to have on? This is from Sean Fleming. You know, Sean, I've answered this question before, and it's a tough question to answer. But there's always one name that keeps popping up, and it's the Pope. And I don't know why I want to talk to the Pope. I think he's got some explaining to do. (laughs) I would love to have a candid conversation with the Pope, if you could. I don't even know if that's possible. Like, if we could talk about not just religion, but maybe philosophy and maybe... You know, a little history of what's going on in the world. Some of the issues that have happened in the Catholic Church. If we could have a real conversation about that, some of that bullshit that's happened, that would be amazing. That would be, I would love to have that conversation. If I had the Pope on my podcast and we could really get into it, we'll love it. That was good. You guys got some good stuff. All right, let's go to Twitter. This is uh, Moved by Mario, is that it? At uh, Yo Nuchi. Okay, Larry, do you think it's better for African-American writers creators to be able to work in AA-owned run companies with content geared for AA audiences with more control or get work outside of the AA bubble in more lucrative but suppressive Hollywood environments? Great question. Um, Really, really good question. For those of you in the business as writers, Let me first say that it isn't always necessarily your choice. (laughs) Let's just be honest about it. When you're trying to make it in the business, you really kind of work on the things you get hired on. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's not always easy getting a writing job. So you get what you can get and you learn how to become a writer by working on things that aren't necessarily something you might choose first. But, you know, you can get a job. I don't know if I would say one is better than the other necessarily. It kind of depends what your goals are, what you want to do, maybe what your tastes are, what your predilections are, that type of thing. I, for myself, I found it was better to create African-American content um, because I always wanted to, if I could, kind of raise the bar of what we were doing because I didn't like the way we were being talked about in the business and that our content was being um, dismissed, you know. So during my time in the business, I've always wanted to elevate what we're doing, if I could, not knowing if I could, but it was my goal at least, you know. Because um, I came up with a time when like, and I, you know, it may still be some of that opinion. Like if you were doing something that was thought of as black, it was less than. You know, people thought it wasn't as good. If you're a black writer, you weren't as good a writer. Black script wasn't as good a script, you know, and I just didn't like that shit at all. So for me, I wanted to work in that type of environment, you know, to do what I could rather than work in the other, you know. But, you know, I think you have to do what kind of works for you and maybe what your personality is. You can certainly make a mark in um, situations that, let's say, aren't necessarily your native story or whatever. Like, in fact, some of that is um, superhero stuff right now. You know, that's the most neutral area, I guess you could say. You know, if you can make a name for yourself in that world, go for it. You know, you're not necessarily 
telling African-American stories or it's not necessarily just for African-American audiences, but you can certainly um, provide a voice in there that is unique and that does come from a certain point of view. So I say go for it. Do what you got to do. Remember, it is what it is. Do what you got to do. Play better. Um, this is from JMCF at JMCF Jen. <laughs> I'm so hard with Twitter and these names. Uh, and they say, in an industry where career setbacks are almost inevitable, what has gotten you through professionally challenging times? And what do you think everyone should keep in mind about their careers, jobs, regardless of their field? Excellent question. Love, love, love this question. Thank you very much. Um, two things. I would say family, number one. To, and by family, whatever your family is, whether it's friends, whether it's actual family that you're related to, whoever your family is, your circle is, find that out very early on. Be Treasure that. Stay close to that. That is your sanctuary. Um, and don't forget that. Don't take your family for granted. You're going to need your family, not just... You know, in all times, good times and bad times, tough times and light times, you know. So if you have a family, and some people don't have a family, and I realize that. And that's why I say, however you make up the family, um, it could be one, by the way, it might be one person, and that might be it, you know. But whatever that, your definition of family is, um, that will be the thing that will get you through most things, okay? Most things. Okay, another thing. I think are hobbies. <laughs> and here's what I mean. I don't think it's healthy just to be completely consumed by any occupation. And I get it. There are some points in your life where it is very consuming and it does take up a lot of your time. But just remember, there are other things in life that are just going to be more important than what you're doing to make a living. There just are. There always are. And one of those things is your mental health and well-being, which especially young people, you just, you know, it's the last thing on the list many times. And I get it. You know, the hustle is real. You're out there doing it. I'm not saying don't do that. But if you can find some hobbies, whether it's with some friends or family or whatever, it could be anything. It could be a sport. It could be games. It could be watching movies together. There's got to be something. But you need an outlet. Find outlets that bring you oxygen, you know, that, whew, that let you exhale, you know, um, let you uh, take in something and just relax, you know, have fun, you know, maybe it's just going to Vegas with the boys, you know, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, you know, girls night um, every Thursday night, you know, whatever it is, do it, find those hobbies. You will be, you will be so happy that you did. Um, here's one from at uh, Nydia Simone, I think it is, NYDA. Nadia Simone. Okay. How do you think Hollywood will change if WGA, SAG after and DGA strike together? And do you think that will change in abysmal numbers of black people in these unions? Will it be net positive or negative for our community and the stories we tell in your opinion? Okay. Well, we know the DGA has made a deal with the companies, so they're certainly not going on strike. And as of this, as I'm recording this right now, um, SAG is currently in negotiations with SAG after in negotiations with the company. Whether they strike or not, I don't know. They had a strike authorization vote, which was, I think, about 98%. I say they, but, you know, I'm, I'm in all three of these unions. Um, but I think I identify more with WGA. I was on the board of directors for that and negotiating committee during the last strike. So that's kind of like 
my home union, I guess you'd say. Um, my feeling is that I, I think SAG is going, oh God, I can't make a prediction on this. It feels like SAG is going to not strike. That's what it feels like to me. And I say that only because the DGA seem to very easily make a deal. Um, if SAG does not strike, I can't imagine the WGA being on strike more than a, a month or two after that. It just doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. If SAG does strike, whew, I think we're in for a world of hurt. Who knows how long we could be out, which to me, I think strikes, especially strikes that go on a long time, just are not good for anyone. Your question is, will it help um, black people in these unions or black content out there? And I get that question, and it's a really good question. I don't know about in the unions itself, but there have always been corrections, let's say, <laughs> in black content out there. I've been around long enough where I've seen a lot of black content and then a little bit of black content, a lot of black content, a little bit of black content. And right now, I think we're in a bit of a correction, and I hope I'm wrong about that. But when I look at the signals out there about, like, you know, you see streaming services just getting rid of content, just arbitrarily getting rid of content. We don't need all this content in here. What are you talking about? You know, and all the deals that are being cut by the studios and everything, the overall deals, those are deals for writers, right? Meaning more people aren't going to have a favorite nations when they go in to pitch things. They're going to, it's like an outsider coming in and pitching it. It gives you a big advantage to already be in a company to pitch things, you know. Um, more uh, content will probably be done for what are quote unquote global audiences, which really concerned me because sometimes that's been a code word for not black, you know, go global, you know. Um, so I don't know. I'm very concerned about that. I get your question and I, I really appreciate your question. Let's, let's keep our eyes and ears open and do all we can to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, okay. Joe Esposito at Ozone Earth Foundry. Joe says, what show would you love to write for? Can be current or past? Um, great question. I wrote down a few. And if I were to choose one, <laughs> I think the I would have had the most fun writing on Sanford and Son. <laughs> oh, man. Being able to write for Rev Fox back in the day where the stuff he said. Look, All in the Family, by the way, great show and everything. But if I'm choosing between All in the Family and San Francisco, I'm sorry, I got to go with San Francisco. I mean, Red Fox was so funny back then. Do yourselves a favor, guys. Uh, the shows, the episodes themselves, like the episodes are kind of, you know, it's not great television writing for the episodes of San Francisco, but it's very funny character writing. Let's say that for Red Fox and uh, his character, Fred Sanford. So San Francisco, I think I'd have the most fun. Carrie Frey at Hemisphere, if the strike ends, will you be a daily show guest host? No, Carrie, I will not be a daily show guest host. Um, did my time on the daily show, hosted my own show, the nightly show, really enjoyed it, had a great time. Um, feel like I'm done with that part. Fierce Mama, she, her, at Amby Rosenfield. Fierce Mama, wow, Fierce Mama. Okay, Fierce Mama says, 
You often mention great black actors or comics from the past. Can you name your top five list of people we should find and watch, please? Thank you, Fierce Mom, for that. Um, great question. So I thought about this. And if I'm going to send you down the rabbit hole, what I want you to watch, right? <laughs> okay, here are the things. Number one on my list, as you guys know, because I've talked about him, is Flip Wilson. Do yourself a favor. Don't watch the Flip Wilson show for one, but also find clips of Flip Wilson from the Tonight Show, his appearances on shows where he's just very funny. There's a great clip of him on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson where he just, John, I've never seen Johnny Carson laugh so hard as he laughed at Flip Wilson. I mean, he couldn't even catch his breath. Um, but Flip Wilson was my hero growing up. He was the only black person on TV to have his own variety show during that time. Nat King Cole had one in the 50s, but Flip Wilson, when I was a kid, was the only person. And it was a huge thing, you know, and I wanted to be Flip Wilson growing up. I, I used to do impressions of him and that kind of stuff. Loved him, loved him, loved him, loved him. Flip Wilson. Second, Moms Mabley. Some of you have never heard of Moms Mabley, don't know who she is. Do yourself a favor and go down the Moms Mabley rabbit hole. That woman, there are few people who they just start talking and they're hilarious. Moms Mabley was hilarious. And we have been robbed that she wasn't in movies and in TV. And, you know, she made appearances on variety shows back then. But man, man, Hollywood, you missed it. Um, we really needed more of Moms Mabley in different forms and we didn't get it. But the forms that we did get it in, an American treasure. She was American treasure. Moms Mabley. Um, George Kirby. George Kirby, many of you may not have heard of George Kirby. George Kirby was a comedian, 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe a little bit in the 80s. And he primarily did impressions. He was a good singer, too. And I want you to go in this rabbit hole for George Kirby for his impressions, okay? His stand-up's not going to knock you out. It's very old-fashioned. But, I mean, he did people like Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald. He could even do Archie Bunker. I mean, the voices he could do. This was another inspiration to me growing up because I did impressions growing up and that kind of thing. And George Kirby, I couldn't believe the ear that he had. Um, really, really, really talented. Very funny. Go down the George Kirby rabbit hole. Um, one, two, three. Okay, four. Uh, many of you know this name, but many of you may not have gone the rabbit hole and appreciated him at his best. And that's Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory um, did stand up for a period of time, but he really became more of an activist and, you know, was selling diet stuff and all that kind of stuff. And he kind of became, I won't say a caricature, but he became this, this weird, weird, I don't want to say weird because I don't want to disparage him, but um, he just became a different kind of character. But Dick Gregory at the height of his powers doing social commentary is untouchable. Okay. Go to the sixties. He's, he was a many, many talk shows. I'm sure there's a lot of footage on him. God bless YouTube, by the way, find Dick Gregory. It, and by the way, when you listen to Dick Gregory, you'll go, wait, when did he say that yesterday? <laughs> it's like, did, did he just say, was he talking about George Floyd? What was he talking about? Everything Dick Gregory saying back then is valid today. Okay. Do yourself a favor. Okay. 
The last one, um, I was thinking, what do I want people to go on a rabbit hole for? Um, so this isn't a person. This is a show. And this is a show called Soul. Okay. Soul was a show that I believe it was on PBS in Philadelphia, maybe. I think so. Um, Anna Marie Horsford was one of the uh, producers on it, by the way. Soul, guys, trust me on this. Trust me. It was on Amazon Prime for a while. There may be a paywall now. I'm not sure. If there's not, start from the beginning and go through Soul. You will be happy that you did. The content is unbelievable. Once again, you will watch Soul and you go, when did they shoot this last week? This shit is current now. You know, you have Nikki Giovanni sitting down talking with James Baldwin and there was a two part conversation and it is fascinating. You know, it's like you're you're sitting in a bar right next to them, hearing them just have this incredible conversation. Uh, They had great uh, singing groups that was on it. There was a great episode with Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte. They were talking about um, the movie they had just made. But they were talking about the industry. A lot of that conversation is still valid. Themselves, fame, all kinds of stuff. Guys, trust me in this. Find soul. Go down the rabbit hole. You will be happy that you did. Okay? So recommendations. At Misha Van Mollusk. When are you running for president? Never. Sorry, Misha. <laughs> I have no interest in being in any kind of politics. Never did. Um, Florence J. Tipton at Tipton FJ25. Uh, <laughs> they wrote this a while ago. Well, your Dodgers are losing to my cards right now, so I won't ask you uh, how you feel about that. I know my Dodgers are like, mm. um, hopefully we'll turn around. Um but they say, I would like your thoughts on what it might take for more black athletes to join Major League Baseball. Interesting question. You know, I don't understand. I, I may have to disagree with this premise here. This is one of those instances where I'm like, why do they need to? Is Do we need to have more black people join baseball? What am I missing here? Why? I don't understand. If, if that's not what they want to do, why do they need to? Like, do we need more... Jews playing basketball? If they if that's not what they want to do, why did they why do they need to? I don't get it. You know, if if I haven't heard a large group of kids saying that they're trying to play baseball, but they just can't, you know. Um so I don't I think this is coming from people observing the game and seeing the trends in it, but I don't know if it's coming from young people who actually want to play the game. And I get it. Things like baseball, by the way, are very expensive, and I get that there can be some class issues. But back in the day, you know, I mean, people played on the streets, they played in the parks like we did, and, you know, you just played or whatever. I mean, you look at places like the Dominican Republic, people playing in the dirt, you know, that type of thing. You know, it's not necessarily a class issue. But, you know, for them, that is a way out in many of those areas of the world. And I think for many blacks, especially if you came up poor as, and you were an athlete and were looking for a way out, baseball used to be a really big opportunity and it was just a more popular game. But I think, you know, basketball, football, you know, are just more glamorous sports now for, for young kids, I think, you know, especially, you know, 
for athleticism and that type of thing, you know. And I think they can make money faster in those. It's It takes a long time to make the same type of money in baseball that you can make in some of those other sports, which is another thing, you know. It's just baseball's tough. Even when you're really talented, I mean, just think, a top baseball player is successful 30% of the time, you know. That's crazy. That is nuts, you know. All right. Let's go one more here. Here's the light one. Why don't you write another book after casinos? It's been 14 years. This is from Rashad at Sir Rosh Khan. Okay, so I wrote a book called um, I'd Rather We Got Casinos. It was a, a satirical book when I was doing The Daily Show back in the day. I think I wrote it in 2007. came out in 2009, 2008, something like that. Um, book kind of a fake essays and things like that. It was a lot of fun to write. It was a satirical book, but um, I've just been too busy, honestly. But I do like the book form, and I do like the satirical essay form. That particular book, my inspiration was kind of like the thing Woody Allen had done, uh, even Fran Leibowitz, some of those people, some of the New Yorker articles, that type of thing. Woody Allen's books, like Without Feathers, his collection, and those types of things. It was kind of my direct inspiration to do that type of book. Some people have done books that are more autobiographical or essays that are personal, that type of thing. Um, it's interesting that you asked this question because I've been asked recently about a book and it made me think, hmm, if I were to write something today, what would I write about? I'm not sure. It's a really good question. I'm kind of thinking about it right now. So it's interesting that you were bring that up. But I would ask you, if anybody out there is interested in me writing a book, what would you like to see me write a book about? You know, if you were to see Larry Wilmore on the book stand, what would be your expectation? You know? be a good thing to answer. So it's possible there, you know, certainly I, I wouldn't do the same type of book I did before. You know, I wouldn't do something satirical. I think I would do something, um, eh, I would say a little more straightforward in certain ways, but I, don't, I still don't know what that is, but it's possible. Maybe doing something. Um, one thing that I would like to do is I think I will be doing more live events. Now I've done some live events mainly with LA Live Talks, who is a great partner. They uh, call me and ask me to do some, you know, it's uh, fun to have people on my podcast in front of an audience. That's something that I would like to do more. And who knows? Some of that stuff may lead to a book. You never know. But it is something that I'm interested in. Anyhow, um, but I love engaging with you guys. I appreciate your question. Um, a lot of good ones in there. I hope I have answered them um, faithfully. And we have some great guests coming up for the podcast uh, very soon. So keep on listening. And like I always said, if there's anybody you want me to talk to, anybody you'd like to hear on the show, just let me know. Thanks a lot. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs>